Welcome everyone. My name is Christina Miner. I'm the host of Our Scars Speak. And we would hope that you can stay for this entire platform tonight to hear Valerie Mitchell's story about her breast cancer journey. But at the same time, after it ends, we would appreciate if you would go to our podcast, which are various platforms from Spotify to Amazon Music, Audible, um, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, as well as subscribe to our YouTube channel and even our Facebook page. That would be greatly appreciated. And share the word. Share about Our Scars Speak because we're really trying to get stories out here in the open for everyone to know what we've gone through and for everyone to be able to share their stories as well. And before I introduce Miss Valerie, um, I want to make for sure that this disclaimer that is also attached at the bottom just to let everyone know, we're not here to give any type of medical advice, um, mental health advice, or anything of that nature. We're not telling you to go against your provider's um, treatment plan. Stick to what your providers have asked you to do. We truly encourage that. We're just here to give education and share our story. So without further ado, thank you so much, Valerie, for being here with us tonight. Um, Valerie Mitchell, she's a licensed professional counselor, and I met her through Here for the Girls which is an organization that we're both in. That's a nonprofit, 501c3, that are for women under, under the age of 51 who's been diagnosed with breast cancer. And Valerie has just truly been a sister, friend, all of that to me. And I'm so glad she came tonight to share her story. And first and foremost, Valerie, I would love for you to just share with everyone, who's Valerie Mitchell? Not Valerie Mitchell, the survivor so much, which we know that's part of our lives, but who are you? Anything you like to share about you, what you do for a living, whatever you like to share. You got it. Um, well, first, thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of this. I'm really honored that you would invite me to be your guest. And so thank you. Thank you so much. Um, as far as who I am, um, I, I'm a wife um, of a 31-year marriage, almost at the end of this month. I'm the mom of two um, boys. They are both young adults. Um, I am a licensed professional counselor, as you mentioned before, and a business owner. Um, but mostly I'm a person who just really, really enjoys being alive. Um, I, love, I love dancing. I love going to theater. I love meeting new people and hearing, hearing their stories. I love helping people. Um, I, I love what I do for a living as a, as a professional counselor. It means a lot to me to be able to see people meet their goals and make progress on their journeys and heal their past hurts. And so I just feel very fortunate to be um, called to do that job. Yeah, because there's it's definitely a calling with it. And I have to say just from what I know of you, you are definitely operating highly within that calling, um, 100%. So as we move along, I would like for you now, if you don't mind, Valerie, to kind of share about, because a lot of times when we do interviews, and you, you're familiar with this as well, they don't really go into detail so much about before, you know, breast cancer, like what was life like before breast cancer? Um, and I just want you to kind of touch on that. Like, what was your life like? Like, where, from whatever point you want to start from, but just share kind of like what was going on. Yeah, sure. Um um, and I probably need to add, I also live near a naval air base. And so there may be times where you might hear some planes flying over. Um, I am safe, even though it sounds like they're going to land on my roof. <laughs> so just in case that happens, just want you to know about that. But, um, 
before before I got diagnosed with breast cancer, I feel like I was kind of living the typical suburban mom life. Uh, we lived in the suburbs outside of Richmond, Virginia. My boys at that point were in high school and one, you know, like kind of dealing with all of that. Right. Uh, my husband and I both had jobs in Richmond. I had a private practice uh, counseling um, in Richmond that was um, doing well. And I was quite pleased because I had started that just a few years before. And it was really kind of um, what I call like surviving the teen years and making sure my boys survived their teen years <laughs> and just getting them into adulthood. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, you know, a lot of family time and, and just the things that you would associate kind of with, um, uh, you know, with raising teenagers and and being with the family and taking care of a home and all of those good things. I did enjoy life because as a counselor, I kind of practice what I preach. I do my right. best to do that and use those skills. So even before I had cancer, you know, I was mindful of, you know, the time that we have here and, and using it in the best way possible. But I also think that fear played a big part in my life, a bigger part than I really recognized. There were things that I would choose not to do um, because I was kind of afraid. Right. And I remember, you know, lots of fear in raising children and like, oh, Lord, please help me get them <laughs> until, you know, adulthood. Um, but I think if, you know, fear played a larger part in my life at that point, too. Okay, so fear played a larger part prior to breast cancer, but you were still trying to live on purpose and trying to get your family through, yourself through, <laughs> sort of what I'm hearing you say. Okay, so if you can, because I know that, because also, everyone, I have to share this part. She is Miss May 2023. I'm here for the girls. She's calendar ambassador with me. And she does so much advocacy work, which I'm sure she's going to kind of tap into that later. But I know you were diagnosed at 47, right? And that was in 2016. Mm -hmm. So yep. can you describe life is going well? Excuse the, if you hear the line more, because there's someone cutting grass. <laughs> But life was going kind of, you know, going great because mm -hmm. you had your businesses, your kids, you're doing the best you can there. And, you know, fear is an issue. I think that some of us, I know for myself, let me speak for it, can be an issue. But um, so at the time, what made you kind of like share your story from what even got you to the point of going to the mm -hmm. doctor? Was it an annual exam or Absolutely. how did that even happen? And how did yeah, you sure. feel when you found uh out? Happy to talk about that because I think it's really important to know um, kind of what happened to me. And uh, I had gone for my annual mammogram in January of 2016. And at that, at that appointment, the doctor um, had chose to do like some 3D imaging and an ultrasound, which is a little bit more, I think, than they would normally do. And, um, you know, but and I remember just sitting there and and praying like, oh, please, no biopsy, please, no biopsy, because I'd had one a few years ago that they determined was some calcification, and that was in the other breast. Um, so she came back to me, and she was like, yep, everything looks good. I'll see you next year. And I was like, yay. <laughs> All right, that's fantastic. Great news. And then that, that was in like late January, early February. And then four months later, in April, I was trying to work on getting my summer body. Ha, ha, ha. And uh, I was doing some exercise, just getting back into an exercise routine. I was doing a tricep stretch. And for whatever reason, instead of putting my hand on my elbow, I just happened to put my hand in my armpit. Mm. And right 
there, I felt something that didn't feel right. And I quickly switched the other arm and felt over here, like, mm, it's not over here. Back to here, like, there's something wrong. Um, wow. And so I uh, knew I needed to get in to see the doctor. That was a Sunday. By Friday, I had my diagnosis that I had breast cancer. Oh, and exactly. so it did happen very quick. Um, there were some hoops to jump through. When I called the breast um, the breast doctor, they were like, well, you need a referral, so you have to go to your PCP. I was like, I was just in there a couple months ago. We still need a referral. So I like made that happen real quick. My PCP happened to be in the office right next door, and then I walked it over to them. Okay. And then I think they recognized um, that a mistake had been made. And um, they got me in very quick and I the doctor I know stayed after hours to do the biopsy because everybody else had kind of left and he and he was doing it and he said I remember as he was doing that biopsy he he said that you know what is in your armpit I'm confident is cancer and he said it's either breast cancer or lymphoma and he said I see something in your breast um, and I don't know if that's a cyst or not and we're gonna find out because if I go in and it collapses it's a cyst if I go in and it's solid, it's not. So it was solid. And so he sent the, um, he sent it out to pathology. And I remember as he was walking out the door when he was like, it, you know, it's either breast cancer or lymphoma or both. Mm -hmm. um, I said, well, I guess breast cancer is a better option, right? Because I had heard so much, you know, breast cancer, oh, pink ribbons okay. everywhere. And he just went, hmm. And then, hmm. And I said, okay, yeah. <laughs> okay. So Friday, um, I was at a conference and I got the phone call um, that we all dread. You know, it's like, hey, right. your results are in. Can you come into the office and bring somebody with you? Mm. So at that point, I knew. I knew exactly what I was facing. I kind of anticipated anyway. I was preparing myself just in case. What I learned on Friday was that I had HER2 positive invasive ductal carcinoma that had spread to my lymph nodes. And so um, her two positive, I, I got a whole, like, what I think is like is a PhD in breast cancer right. in the first couple of weeks. What I learned is that there's multiple kinds of breast cancer. I learned that her two positive was especially aggressive and is most likely to come up in women that are younger. Mm -hmm. um, I was um, hormone receptor negative. So what we hear is like ERPR. Right. That was not part of my, my cancer. It was purely HER2 positive, wow. um, which means that I have chemotherapy first mm -hmm. and then surgery and then radiation. And because it had spread to my lymph node, um, it was um, all three that um, had left the breast and it had migrated to begin to spread to the rest of my body. If it leaves the lymph node, it's considered metastatic breast cancer and at that point does not have a cure. Um, a question for yeah. you. So you yes, stated that prior to finding out the diagnosis that you also had already been one time before and there was um, findings of calcifications, but was that the same breast or did you have it in both breasts or just the one? It was the other, it was the left breast and the cancer side was the right breast. Okay. So the calcifications were left and then the cancer was right. Okay. All right. All right. And yeah. And so, but what I did find out, because they did a lot of extra testing, they did an MRI and a, a PET scan to see if it had spread. Um, and they identified 26 areas of concern in the left breast. And so they wanted to go in and biopsy the left breast mm -hmm. as well. Um, I decided not to have that done. Um, 
because I knew from the very beginning that I was going to opt for a bilateral mastectomy. Okay. And so I kind of at that point said, I'm, I'm going to get rid of both breasts that I'm comfortable with that. I, I want, I don't want to have more complications from it. So I knew from the very beginning and because I had made that decision early on, I felt like it, I was comfortable with not going through the biopsies. However, a doctor later told me that may not have been my best decision. Um, really? Because the cancer in the other, the other breasts could have been different than the cancer in my right breast. So yeah. I didn't know that though early on. Yeah, it's very, very interesting how that works. Like you said, there's so many, when, we, when you get diagnosis, like you literally have a speed course in cancer and you find out that there's so many cancers there's so many um treatment plans and it's just so much of everything and every it's very specific to the person um mm -hmm. so for you did, did they tell you what stage you were in they it was right along it was a four centimeter tumor in my armpit a two centimeter um tumor in my breast and so they said i was right on the edge of 2b3a okay. back when they did staging you know they said it was, it was right right there um and so, like I said, I got started with chemotherapy first, and I had um, a drug called Herceptin, and I had a drug called Pergetta. And the cool thing about this is Herceptin was just FDA approved a few years prior to my diagnosis. Um, and, and before Herceptin, um, I would have had a very poor prognosis. I would have had a very low chance of survival. And if anybody's ever really interested in the development of Herceptin, there's a great movie called Living Proof with Harry Connick Jr. And it, and it showcases the doctor and his journey about getting Herceptin developed and approved. And if you watch it, have a box of tissues ready. Um, but watching that movie prompted me to write a thank you note to Dr. Slammon out at UCLA because he's the one who put in all the really hard work to get that drug approved. And I am confident that without that medication, without that type of chemotherapy, which is called immunotherapy, mm -hmm. um, I, I wouldn't be here today. I'm certain that so I would not be here it today. it was just approved. So you didn't do the trial. You did, it had already been approved by the FDA? Yes, okay. it had already been approved. It had been on the market about, um, I think about three to four years. Okay. Um, but still, in, you know, in cancer terms, that's pretty recent, you know. Right. And what year were you diagnosed again? 2016. 2016. Yep. I was diagnosed in 2016. And so it, it had just been out there just a few years before my diagnosis. And it was revolutionary. Yeah. Because now I hear about immunotherapy all the time from various, you know, cancer patients. So yeah. that's, thank goodness. Um, yeah. yeah. Very grateful for that. And, um. You know, there were some glitches along the way, of course, with chemotherapy. I did lose all my hair. Mm -hmm. um, that was the part that bothered me. I mean, I hate to say it, but somebody said it very well, that in breast cancer, you know, we lose the two things that we often associate with femininity. We lose our breath and we lose our hair. Right. Um, and um, because my breasts were killing me, <laughs> trying to kill me. I didn't mind getting rid of those, mm -hmm. um, but my hair wasn't trying to kill me. So that was, that was hard. I'm just honestly putting it out there. But I decided what I would do is I decided to get a mohawk and first, because okay. I'm like, I've, why not? You know, I'm right. not going to do this again, I hope. So I got a mohawk, painted it purple and had some fun with that um, before taking it all off. Huh. So what 
kind of made you, I guess, make the decision about like your treatment, your actual treatment plan? Um, were there any factors that you want to elaborate on that kind of made you decide that this is exactly what I wanted to do specifically for me? Well, I think one of the things was um, my my mom worked for Amer the American Cancer Society at the time, and she was very insistent about getting a second opinion. Mm -hmm. And and I, and I and I I was nervous about that. Honestly, I felt like really go against my doctor. Like they're a good doctor, and but she's like, no, you have to get a second opinion. Um, and so I did. And the good news was the doctor was in alignment with the other doctor and good. said, this is exactly what I'd recommend. They did tell me that it was an option for me to have a lumpectomy mm -hmm. versus a mastectomy. I did not personally feel comfortable with that. I just really, especially given all the other issues in the other breast. Right. You know, my, my thought was, I don't, I don't, if I can avoid going through this again, I want to. Right. And so that, that just made sense to me. And, you know, I, I don't miss my breasts. Um, I, I love my life. And so I really don't mourn the loss of them. Now I, I did opt for reconstruction. Okay. Um, and, and I had a wonderful um, surgeon for that. Uh, she did a great job and was really pleased with her work. Um, and they have not given me too much of a problem, a little bit here and a little bit there, but nothing that I don't feel like I couldn't, I couldn't deal with. It, it's okay. So with reconstruction, what exactly, like what were your steps? Did you have to do chemo, then radiation, and then reconstruction, and then... You didn't. No, actually, just actually, and that was kind of cool. And why I liked the plastic surgeon that I picked, um, and and she said that if we do so chemo first, and that was um, May through August. I finished my last chemo the end of August. In September, I began the surgeries, which was a series of three surgeries um, mm -hmm. back to back. I had the Angelina Jolie mastectomy, where they save part of the breast, and okay. then they so. Um, the first surgery was to prepare my breast so that they could save part of it. And then the second surgery was the actual mastectomy. And then the third surgery was the doctor went in and switched out. She did kind of rapid fill with the, um, what are they called? I call them the turtle shells, the expanders. Expanders. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they hurt. Right. They feel like turtle shells. Um, <laughs> And so before I started radiation, she went in and, re and put in the implants. And she said that she liked to do that because she had better results long-term if she didn't have to operate on radiated breast tissue. Mm, I've heard that a lot, though. I've heard that a lot about radiation and implants and stuff. So, okay. Yeah. So that was the way. And you had implants which type of implants and were you able to save your nipples or, or is that we did yep it was, the, it was the nipple sparing answer, yeah it's fine it was the nipple sparing mastectomy that's the angelina jolie one and yeah. um and i went with like kind of the gummy implants okay. um you know they said that it's um this saline implants i think can wrinkle a bunch mm -hmm. and um they kind of give a little bit of a wrinkling appearance and they said the gummy just kind of stay in place and don't have that wrinkling. They were not part of the recall though. Um, as far as there was a big breast implant right. recall and, um, the ones that I had were not part of that, that batch. Um, fortunately, um, yeah. To think about, yeah, go ahead. No, those implants, I think they were textured on the outside. Right. 
um, the ones that were recall and they were like giving cancer, a different type of cancer to some of the patients. Yes. And I know with the gummies, they were saying, I don't know if your doctor said this to you, that if it were to, I guess, like rupture, rupture yeah. Yeah. Um, they could easily take it out versus like, yeah, it, it, right. Everything kind of would, would stay together, yeah. you know, like um, almost like a jelly bean, I guess is the way mm -hmm. it was described that if the jelly bean was sliced, it would just kind of pop a little bit, but not like pour out. Right. Like a chocolate covered cherry. Right. <laughs> so, um, anyway. so that um, yeah, I'm all about the food. <laughs> did you do the fat grafting also? I did. Okay. Yep. I sure did. And that, that was positive experience overall, a little bit painful, but it's kind of nice to move some fat around in my body. And I had a lot of family members saying that they'd be willing to donate. But I was like, no, I've got plenty. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that happened as well. And I, that, all of that surgery finished, um, December 8th. So I did delay radiation a little bit. And, and one of the doctors was concerned. He's like, I really don't think you should delay radiation. I think you should get right in there and do it. Mm. But another radiologist had said, no, I'm really comfortable with it. And even though I finished my surgery December 8th, I didn't start radiation until, um, after Christmas, I think it was right before New Year's, right? Actually, it was after New Year's. It was like January 2nd is when I started radiation. Um, and he said it would give me my body a little bit of time to heal anyway. So he was comfortable with that. And when I went into radiation, that was a unique part of treatment because all of the other treatment, um, I had somebody with me. Mm -hmm. You know, radiation is a solo journey. You go in that room and you're in there with a big machine and it's a huge room and they get you all set up and then they step out and you're there, you know, you're there for, for you know, 15, 20 minutes. Fortunately, it's not too long. Um, but, you know, to lay on the table and be in your head. And so the first day I went to get fitted, I was a bit in my head and I said, I can't do this. I can't be here in my head. Um, so I made a decision that when I was in radiation, I had had so many people praying for me throughout that journey. I decided to take that those moments every morning to pray for everybody else. Wow. And I, I kind of in my head, I said, this radiation is my superpower to really get this, get, get that, get that up to God, you know? Right. And so that was, that was kind of how I personally coped with laying on that table is just is putting in my head all the people that I needed to pray for. Hmm. And, and it went by quickly and I was okay. And I coped with it just fine. So during this time of treatment, diagnosis, everything, one question I really want to ask, I, I want you to kind of touch on like how your family, you know, how is it for your family? Because I heard you say you had teen kids and I had a teenager at my time, you know, when I went through as well. So I kind of want you to touch on that, but also as a counselor, because mm -hmm. you were a counselor even during that time, Absolutely. how did that affect you? Did you have to like use your own tools to help yourself but if you could start with just mm -hmm. kind of like your family and then go into that um so my husband was terrified um and, but he didn't let that show too much you know he was kind of like i'm going to be strong for you right. um but but he he was really afraid he was going to lose me he was fantastic i was very very fortunate that he really stood behind beside me and all the all the whole way through super supportive um and did things i didn't know he was capable of doing <laughs> that vulnerability like, piece that's also that got done, right 
I'm like, you know how to do that? Wow. Okay. So no, he, he was just super, super supportive. And, and I was really fortunate because a lot of women don't get that during their breast cancer journey. A lot of husbands get scared and distance or run away. Um, and so I count that as a huge blessing. He just really showed up for me. Um, and then my boys, um, one boy, they're very different in their personality. And one boy kind of acted as if it didn't bother him at all. He's just like, okay. And, and that was it, you know, um, and then, and then the other boy that was a little bit more concerned and he was a little bit more present because the oldest one was kind of out of the house at that point and, and he wasn't face to face with it. Um, my other son, I felt really bad for him because he was graduating high school that year. And I remember when the doctor told me I was going to lose my hair and I said, you mean I can't, I, how am I going to go to my son's graduation? <laughs> you know, and he's like, you're going to have a wig. It's going to be okay. <laughs> Um, but it affected him a lot more. I remember the day that I got the diagnosis, the following weekend, we were supposed to go on a college visit for him. And it was a college out in Illinois. And it was, it was a little ways away. And we were like, mm. but we're like, okay. And we were going to make that trip that he'd already been accepted. We were just going to like sign the deal. I got home that evening. We get home right about the same time we would normally get home from work. But that that he yelled to us like from upstairs, "Where have you been?" And I'm like, "Oh, what are you asking?" And he's like, "Yeah, no, really. Where have you been?" Very odd, very unusual question. Right. Um, and I said, "You need to come downstairs. This is something we need to talk about face to face." And so I made that moment because we weren't. We were kind of like, do we tell him before? Do we tell him after? When do we tell him? But because he had been so direct in asking us um, about where we had been, I was not going to be dishonest with him. And so I told him, you know, hey, here's what's going on. But we want to go to your college visit. You know, I said, I don't want this to take away from you and your experience and going to the school you want to. Um, but he immediately made up his mind. He said, there's no need to visit. I'm staying home. Like I'm, oh, I'm going, so he made I'm going to college here based off what he felt. Absolutely. Wow. He was convicted. He said, there's no way he's like, there's no way I could go halfway across the United States um, when you're going through this. And so he made, he was accepted to a couple of colleges. And so he chose one that was local. Um, the other big thing that we did um, is we made a decision very early on to move to Virginia beach. Um, we had always wanted to do that. Yeah. yeah. We always wanted, to do it we thought when we retire we'll move down to the beach we kept our eye on property over over the years just getting familiar with the neighborhoods mm -hmm. and everything and i think at, about two or three weeks after my diagnosis my husband put a contract in on a house down here that we had been looking at for years we saw it as a as a ground we saw it halfway under construction we saw it finished and then it just sat on the market for a year all the houses around it sold but this one didn't and um so the builder dropped the price and we made an offer and it was accepted and, and we moved to Virginia beach um, wow. right at the beginning of treatment. We just kind oh, of acted on the of treatment. That part I must've missed somewhere. Cause I'm, I remember you telling me about the story, but wow. At the beginning, that was yeah. a bold move. Yeah, really. What we, really really stepped out on faith and, and that was my husband he said i'm gonna make your dreams come true we're not gonna wait for later because we don't know if we're gonna get later right. so we're gonna do it now um which, which was surprising so we spent a lot of time back and forth on the road between richmond because all my treatment was in richmond the family was in richmond um and so we we were back and forth a whole lot but being at the beach was was very healing for me 
to come here after after chemotherapy Mm-hmm. And to just even sometimes just lie on the beach in my little tent with my little bald head. And sometimes that's all I could do was just lie, just lie there. Um, but to smell the ocean air, to, to hear the waves, to feel that it, it was, it was definitely healing for my right. soul. Right. Yeah. So um, can you share a little bit about like being a counselor? Talk, I heard you say about like healing and being on the beach and, you know, mental health, that's the a lot what we talk about like finding places where you know using coping skills and different things of that nature can you kind of tap into that because that had to been you know at this point it's like you you're helping people all this time and then now Mm -hmm. some things are at you're facing and it's changed the dynamic of your life absolutely i I think um i'll answer that a little bit in two parts that's fine one was about what to do with my job, you right. know, in my business. I am self-employed and I am a solo provider. So, oh my gosh, how am I going to do that? And then two, you know, and part of that's having good, healthy boundaries, knowing what you're capable of, being able to let go of the things that you're not capable of. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that's part of that counseling skill coming in, knowing my limits and ha- practicing good self-care. Right. Um having a good support system was important. And I'll talk about that as well. Uh, but honestly, in a way, I, um, there was so much physically happening. And because I had chemo first and the chemotherapy kind of really slows the brain down. Mm. And, and it, was, it was the closest thing I could imagine to just like kind of having like a flat line. Mm. You know, before can't before chemotherapy, my my head's like you know like always having thoughts. Um, during chemotherapy, there were times where I was really thinking nothing, nothing. It was just like a flat line. And my husband was like, "Are you okay? <laughs> You're not talking." <laughs> I'm like, mm, "I'm fine." So during that first year, it was all to me about the physical healing, mm-hmm. and. The emotional part for me didn't really kick in until all the treatment was finished. Mm. And that, that is when that the like it sat in like, holy cow, what have you just been through? You know, yeah. whoa. And so a lot of the a lot of the counseling skills that I applied to myself came into play at that point, um, especially dealing with the fear, the anxiety of recurrence. Um, but I wanna, I'm going to step backwards for a moment, talk about the support and all of that. Um, when I looked at my counseling practice and what I was going to do, I recalled that I had a colleague who three years previously had gone through exactly the same thing. Okay. And so I reached out to her. She was one of the very first phone calls I made. And I asked, hey, I, I'm going through this now, and I need to know what did you do with your business? How did, how did you mm-hmm. – how did you do this? Um, I was calling for business advice and she said, I will give you all those answers, but first let me tell you about here for the girls. Oh, so that's how you found here for the girls. I sure, sure did. Okay. Um, so Melissa, Melissa Weaver, she was the one and, and oh, she Melissa. was just that's right. Melissa, absolutely. Okay. And she just um, brought me to the first meeting. So I was a part of here for the girls from the very beginning. And oh, wow. yeah, Back when I still had my real hair at the time. Wow. In fact, going for the hair cutting thing, 
I, at first I was thinking I was going to do it by myself. I knew I didn't want to take my family because they were already so heartbroken about everything I was going through. And I just thought I can't subject them to watching me get my head shaved. Um, and so I was like, oh, I'm going to do this by myself. It'll be okay. And as it got closer, I'm like, I can't do this by myself. And so I called here for the girls' girls. And I said, hey, y'all, can anybody come? And, and it was 24 hours before this haircutting party. Uh-huh. And they came. Three of them came. They brought um, champagne. They brought music. They brought flowers. And they, they really made it a very special experience. And so having that support right from the very beginning was priceless. Was absolutely yes. useless. Yeah. Support is everything. And I was never one to go venture out to find a whole bunch of support. And, you know, you touched on like your husband being able to do things, but that took you allowing yourself to be vulnerable to get to allow him to do things for you that he normally hadn't done. And, you know, that vulnerability piece, even with allowing ourselves to say, okay, I need support. Yeah. I need, I need help during this time. That was was a major move as well. And I was really, you know, I was so fortunate, like I said, to get in right at the beginning. And and what I noticed, you know, and I, before cancer, this was me too. Um, My friends who weren't going through this um, sometimes had had no idea how to help. Sometimes they were scared. Sometimes they didn't know what to say. And And sometimes they backed off and they pulled away. Right. Um, and, and, and to no discredit to any of them, cause I have absolutely been in no shoes when I've had friends go through things that I didn't know how to handle it, mm-hmm. you know, even as a counselor, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and so it was really good to have other women in my life who knew exactly what I was going through. Right. You know, they, they just really got it. And so that was right. very helpful. Yeah. yeah, extremely. I can't stress it enough. Like you all are like my family for real. Like mm-hmm. you're definitely my family. Yeah. We definitely show up for each other. Um, so were there any things that you want to share with the audience about like what you utilized um, far as getting through? Uh, yeah, I'll talk a little bit about yourself, that. As far as, like, I'll talk about that little things of that nature. Yeah. Yeah, I'll talk about the second year. So after I rang that final bell and her septum was completed, um, the radiation had been done, the surgeries are done, and and her septum, her septum goes on for a full year. So I rang that final bell and I said to my doctor, all right, what's next? And she she said, you're done. (laughs) And I I said, what? (laughs) I said, well, how do I keep this from coming back? Mm -hmm. And she gave me five things. She said, eat healthy, don't smoke maintain a healthy weight, limit your alcohol use. And there was one other, it'll come to me. But they were all things I was doing when I got cancer. Mm -hmm. And and that was really scary. And that's where I think a lot of the fear kind of got to overdrive. Mm -hmm. And I remember at that time thinking there's got to be more. And at that that phase, I remember waking up in the morning and it would be a little bit of a game. Like how far could I get into my day without thinking about cancer? You know, had I already woken up dreaming about it? Maybe. Um, When I got into the shower, I looked around, was it this bath product? Was it this deodorant? You know, there's all this information that goes on around there. 
And so just kind of questioning, okay, where did it come from? Where did it come from? And what can I do? What do I have to eliminate? Um, I would say that it got easier, but it took a while for those thoughts, you know, because I thought about cancer every single day. I know for a very long time. Um, and now, I, you know, I'm, I'm seven years out from diagnosis. I do not think about cancer every day. I know. I'm so thrilled. Um, but, yeah, but it still definitely comes up. You know, as you know, once we're finished with treatment, but we're, we're just in a whole new land. You know, there's there's still things to really watch for and monitor. Um, but one of the cool things that happened is, I, you know, it, it, initially I'm, I'm pretty nervous about what I need to do to keep it from coming back. Mm -hmm. And I was scrolling the Here for the Girls Facebook page, and somebody had posted an article about a newly released medication had just gotten approval July 18th, 2017, um, by the FDA to prevent recurrence of HER2 positive breast cancer. Oh. So I got super excited. Name of the drug was Neuralynx. And I went to the doctor and I said, hey, have you heard about this? Oh, my gosh, there's something more I can do. You know, kind of let's let's do this. And and she said, no. I'm like, what? And she said, no. You know, the diarrhea is really bad on that. And I was like, lady, you saw me lose my hair. <laughs> you saw me like so much worse. Like, let's right. at least try it. You know, so I sat with that for a few weeks. I went back to her a few weeks later and I asked again and she was firm. She's like, nope, I really don't want to prescribe it. And I knew I could not leave anything on the table. I did not want to look back and say, I should have done that. Maybe that would have made the difference. Um, so I got an, a second opinion again um, and uh, the, the second doctor said, yeah, let's give it a try. I was her first patient on that medication. And so we navigated that journey together. Um, and it was cool because I was one of the first patients on the medication. There was another Facebook group of people who were taking the medication mm -hmm. and I was connected with them. And, uh, the manufacturer, the pharmaceutical company was looking for people that were on the medication and how they were doing. And so I talked with them and they ultimately invited me out to San Francisco uh, and I became a patient mentor and a patient ambassador for them, um, talking to other patients who were considering going on the medication and also speaking at groups. And so this is where the fear comes in. Mm -hmm. um, you know, before cancer, <laughs> I, I was afraid of a bunch of things. One of them was flying. I, was, I, I oh. had um, it was shortly after 9-11 there was a flight that crashed in New York City that was different. It was a mechanical malfunction. And in a flight I'd been on the year before. Um, I don't know if it was the same plane or not, but it was right. the same flight. And um, after that point, I didn't get on another plane. Until they said, do you want to come to San Francisco? And I said, you know what? <laughs> if cancer didn't take me out, let's roll. Let's just do, let's go have fun. Let's do everything. And so um, went out to San Francisco, became a pen a patient ambassador for them. And that was a great experience because I had a lot of speaking opportunities. There was one where I spoke in front of a crowd of about 400 people. Um, and I had never done anything like that before. Um, I spoke, spoke in front of small groups. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's just really pretty cool to kind of like, whatever, yeah. you know, say yes. So what was, I know you said that like cancer didn't take you out. So that's why you just like, I'm going to go for it. Was it also about, because I know you're a huge advocate, it was also about other people that are going through or getting ready to go through. Was that part of your mindset as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
you know, like me getting connected with here for the girls, I knew how essential that was for me and what a difference it made for me. And it really helped me to hear other people's stories, even if they weren't exactly like mine. Um, it, it was just really, really um, affirming to hear from other folks. And so I knew, you know, I, I, I wanted to pass that on right. to other people and, and kind of, hey, here's my experience whatever might help you use and, and whatever doesn't, that's okay too. You know, yeah. so you're going to have your own experience. And so it was really exciting, especially to get the word out that go ahead and ask for a second opinion as, as women were often, um, you know, it, it, you know, doctors, you know, they're up there and, and sometimes we're really afraid to ask the hard questions or to ask for a second opinion. Um, and I just really wanted to, especially encourage women, it is absolutely okay to do that. Right. I began to look at it like this is my one body. This is it. This is the one I got. I am in charge of this one. I am the, I am the primary advocate for this body. Doctors have hundreds of patients. Mm -hmm. I've got one body. So I better use my voice to make sure that I'm doing what I can to advocate for it. And then also helping other women to know it's okay to, to advocate it's okay to ask right. um, I, and, and on the other hand I also said to myself be the kind of patient your doctor wants to save you know yeah. don't be nasty <laughs> don't be ugly you know there, there's a tone about right. asking these things and so I, I like tried to balance those two out advocate but be the kind of patient your doctor wants to save <laughs> I always have this thing like sometimes you have to be firm yet fair um, yes, yes. <laughs> towards even the doctors it's like sometimes you have to have you you have to be kind of firm, but you don't have to be rude. <laughs> you don't have to be, you know, um, aggressive to the point where they don't want to care for you or exactly. Yeah, they're, they're people too. We have to remember that they're humans. They're subject to mistakes and they have feelings. Most so definitely. <laughs> Most definitely. So that is amazing. So I guess now is sort of like, what is life for you now? Cause you know, I don't like to say after, um, yeah. but what is life for you now? Um, awesome. Like I, I love, I love my life and it doesn't mean that it's not without hard days or hard times or problems, but I am so, so grateful to be alive. I am, I am so fortunate. Um, the hard part of being, um, part of a support group is you, um, you make friends with people who, who don't have the same outcome. And, and I, I, you know, I, I know each girl I lost along the way, and that's hard. Um, and so I, I have extra time here. I don't know why I do, and some of them don't. But I'm, I'm not. I don't take that for granted. I'm so lucky to be alive. And so what that means for me is to really do the things that are meaningful. You know, whether it's through my work or it's through my recreational time. You know, don't, you know, if, if I'm unhappy about something or I'm stressed out about something, okay, feel my feelings. Right. But don't, don't set up a tent there, you know, mm -hmm. keep moving and, um, and look for the really good things. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, my, my kids are kind of grown and more into adulthood. So that's kind of nice. My husband and I are, are doing fairly well. I will add on to that since cancer, we mm -hmm. call it BC, the big changes, yeah. You know, before children, because there's yes. a big change there yes. before cancer. 
big change there. And before COVID, because uh. COVID brought a really big change to our family. As a mental health professional, I did not have the stay at home and relax experience. I was flooded with work. Mm. Um, and that was great. I was happy to help. And at the same time, my spouse, we were, we got COVID very early. We got COVID before the world shut down. Um, and I was fortunate that, that my husband, um, even though he did get pneumonia, he was treated in the emergency room, but it wasn't so severe that he was admitted. He would, he came home and he recovered, you know, at home. Right. And just as he had recovered and about three days later, after he went back to work, he came upstairs and he said, I've got chest pain. I need to go to the hospital. And if you know this man, I was like, do I need to call an ambulance? Because these are not words that come out of his mouth. Um, and and so that day began a very long journey that we are still on mm. um, where he developed long COVID. Um, he's, he became systemically sick. Every part of his body was affected. It was hard because the doctors knew nothing about it. They were looking for the traditional symptoms, and so they very much dismissed him. Um, they don't know what to do for it. Mm -hmm. uh, we have been to see probably at least 12 different specialists, no real answers. There's mm -hmm. a lot of research going on, and we're three years out. What that gave me, though, was a real gratitude um, for the research that's been done on breast cancer. Mm. I, 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 yeah, I got a disease that people knew about. Right. I didn't have to prove it to anybody. Right. You know, there was research that was already been done for years. Um, so there was a, there was a treatment plan. The doctors agreed about it. You know, like I was really fortunate, yeah. you know, you know? And, and so a lot of gratitude for the medical community and everything that they've been doing mm -hmm. to, you know, treat breast cancer. Um, so, but I learned all those skills, like the advocacy, the research have really come in handy now mm -hmm. um, because I'm, I'm doing all of that. You know, I'm you know, leading the way of trying to figure out what will work for my husband and, and trying to research what's going on and, and all of that because he's not up to the task. Um, he just doesn't have the wellness to do it for himself. So, wow. um, but even, even with that, like, man, life is good. Like, yeah. it is really, really, really good. We are so fortunate to be here. Yeah. That's so beautiful. Is there anything else that you want to share with anyone um, before I ask you the next question, which is kind of like the wrap-up questions? Yeah, but no, we can, we can wrap up. That you, want to if there's more, you know, if there's more questions, you can have me on again. <laughs> but no, I'm good. <laughs> I don't have anything else to share, I think. I think I'm all good. Okay, <laughs> and also, for anyone who's listening, feel free to inbox me um, or DM me or whatever if you have questions for Valerie and I can make sure she can get them. Um, so with that being said, you chose on your reel, you had your pictures, I had your pictures up there asking people to come and listen and there was a song because I always ask people when they're coming on if they decide, if they want to, um, what song do they want with the reel? And you chose a Bob Marley song. Mm -hmm. um, which is three, is it three, three little birds? Three or little, don't little birds. Three birds. The, the official title is Three Little Birds. Most people would know it as Don't Worry About a don't Thing. Worry. Every right. little but it is thing three little birds. You're correct. Be all right. So with that being said, that's the first question. What, explain that song. 
Like what just, yeah. what inspires you about that song? What do you love about it? Um, for me, that was an expression of my faith. Um, you know, I didn't ask why me, you know, especially when I found out the statistics, I thought, well, why not me? <laughs> you know, a lot of women get this. Um, and it was just, you know, I, I, my, my faith is rooted in Christian tradition. Mm -hmm. And I think, think about um, when my time comes, I'm calling it my graduation. It's when I get to graduate from life and I get to go into the party, you know. And I, I have no idea what the outcome is going to be. Even to this day, I have no idea. Is it going to come back? Is it not? I don't know. But what I do know is that every little thing is going to be okay. Yes. Every little thing is going to be okay. You know, I, I don't have to worry. Um, he's got this. Ooh, Every little thing is going to be okay. Yeah. So that's the meaning for that song. Yeah, that's the meaning. So the other thing that I have to ask you mm -hmm. is before we wrap up and I share something with you, mm -hmm. um, what is one word that you can share with other people who maybe are developing scars, have scars, maybe they're healing, but what can you share with the audience um, far as one word and why would you choose that word to encourage or to inspire them? Okay, so my, my word, and it's my word for the year, actually, I chose this word for the year. Um, my word is joy, joy. Um, joy is above and beyond happiness. It's uh, connected to rejoice, rejoice, mm -hmm. joy. And that if we set our mind on it, we can, we can find joy. It is mm -hmm. there. And, and, and to just, you know, the gratitude for oxygen. You know, we, we breathe it every day. We take it for granted. I don't know the last time we thought about oxygen. Um, but boy, we'd appreciate it if it wasn't there, you know? Right. So even the joy in breathing you know, how, how there's just a lot, a lot that surrounds us that we can look to and find joy. That's beautiful. That is so beautiful. Thank you. So I want to share a word that I think of when I think of you. And that's gracious. Aww. You are one of the most gracious people I've ever met within your tone, the way you speak the way that you exhibit love towards people, um, people like even hearing about your doctor and things, well, they kind of missed it. That's <laughs> grace. Some people could be very, very angry, could be very bitter, especially with everything that you've gone through. But it's the grace of God, the grace that God has extended in your life, you extend to other people and you've always been like that. And you're very fair when you operate with people. And I always think of you, honestly, as a gracious gatherer, because you have a tendency, you, you can meet people where they are. And it's not just about being a counselor, because I've seen some counselors out there who are not very gracious. Um, but you are very gracious. You can truly see and sense the presence of God whom you serve um, in your life and see it extended to other people. So I want to just encourage you to continue to be gracious and continue to allow you know, all good things to continue to come to you. And I just encourage you 100% with your walk and every aspect of your life. 
And yes, that's what I see when I see you. Oh, thank gracious. And gracious you. Because you love bringing people together and you love helping people and you're very gracious as you do it. Thank you. And I love that you pointed out that the grace that's been extended to me, because that's the power. Mm -hmm. you know, it's not mine. It's, it's what's coming through, you know, and just allowing that to come out. So thank you for that. And, and, and Christina, I've got to share with you too. I just have to, um, you are inspiration, you know, that the journey that you have been on and not just through cancer, but through other things that you have experienced in your life and you are just inspiration the way you are um, stepping out and doing the podcast and, and educating and advocating in, in the, the um, cover that you did and, you know, the bravery and saying, here I am and educating about being flat and that that's a choice. Like, um, I'm, I'm inspired by everything that you're doing. I, I think it's just phenomenal. And I'm so, so grateful to be in the calendar with you and to have you as my sister. Yes. Yes. Sisters forever. Definitely. Yes, well, thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, I know people are going to be inspired by it. And for anyone who's listening and watching, it will be on all podcasts. Like I stated, it will be uploaded to the YouTube channel. Um, it'll be here. I'm going to also make sure it's on my other Facebook page. Please share her story with other people. Um, she's very open. She's gracious. And so if you have any questions, feel free to DM me uh, and I can make sure she gets them. And yeah, so thank you all for listening and tuning in tonight. Thank you again, Valerie. I really, really appreciate it. And that's it. Thank you, Christina. Thank, thank you. you so much for what you're doing. <laughs> all right. Thank you for listening to Our Scars Speak, and we hope you can join us again real soon. Meanwhile, remember that our mental and physical scars speak a story that can help heal the wounds of another.